is totally irresponsible parenting. Not according to the internet. Where on the internet? Dax, it's time for your bath. But I miss my show. Don't argue with me, young man. Just do it. This is our dad. I'm the professor. Yeah, he made us in his laboratory by accident. Don't worry, professor. I was an accident, too. You're my children, and I love you, but you're all terrible. Come on, guys. Come on. Yeah. Okay. Well, without further ado, because I know we're all really excited about it, let's bring out the man with the voice, Mr. Troy Baker. Feel weird. Can we get? Can I get a handheld? Is that? Is that? Would that freak you guys out if I did that? I freak people scrambling. Not you guys. I don't care about y'all. They are excellent. They'll, they'll um, take care of it. I just always feel like it's like this is a congressional hearing, and I feel like we have enough of those going on right now. Uh, no, Senator, I do not recall at all um, any. You do the best. Awesome. Okay. Thank you. <sighs> Av, come on, guys. That's amazing. Um. Yeah, let's let's kick this pony. Let's uh, let's uh, let's get going. Yeah, how, I don't, you probably should never have to sign "kick this pony." That's just a terrible thing to do to somebody. <laughs> Whenever my job is to maybe make them look up the book, going, I don't know what that one is. <laughs> um, I can't tell you a cool story that I wanted to tell you because it's a spoiler for The Last of Us. Um, but anyway, yeah, I just immediately. This is how my brain works, by the way. So get ready. But you had a question. I want to know what your question was. Kick question. Yeah, I want to do your question. Put me on the spot. Yeah. Um, so you have a very long career in history with Hopefully. your video games, obviously. <laughs> so how do you feel the storytelling in the video games is compared to movies and TV? Oh man, what a great question. Um, I personally believe. Uh, I feel like I'm just gonna get closer to you guys. I gotta get closer to you. Um, <laughs> Some of you maybe heard me tell this before. Sorry, buddy. Thank you for tracking with me. I believe that we are all storytellers. That is who we are genetically predisposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, and by the way, is there anybody in here that is uh, hearing impaired? I love you guys. Thank you so much for being here. Thank, uh, thank you. Yep. Um, she'll say it. <laughs> we are genetically predisposed to be storytellers. It's the reason why we created language in the first place. It's because we wanted to communicate our story, whether that was, here is food, there is danger, check out this woolly mammoth that I killed, something. We wanted to communicate with other people. So, at the end of the day, we're all just trying to find the best way to tell the story. I think, think? <laughs> <laughs> I think that when we started drawing on the cave walls, that began the arrow in the direction that we're moving, which is games. Because the ultimate way to experience a story is to be a part of it. So we started telling the story, then we started singing the story, then we started writing the story, and then we started putting it on a stage and having other actors portray that story. And then we started putting a camera on it. And then we started putting controllers with it. That's where storytelling is going. 
So a lot of people are asking, I remember a friend of mine was asked one time, when do you think that games will be able to bridge the gap to movies? And he says, my friend, movies are standing on the shore trying to figure out how to get where we are. So if you're a gamer, know that you are at the peak of the evolution of storytelling. <laughs> kind of cool, right? So, that said, I believe it is a, it's an issue of currency and trust. The currency is trust, actually. So whenever I go into a session, let's say that it's a, just a pure voiceover session, which I now get to do from my home, thank you, COVID. I walk into my booth and I have very limited tools that they have given me. I have a script and I have a mic. And I am trusting them that the performance that I give will match to their intention, but also be what I intended it to be. That's why they cast me, that's why I chose to do this role, is because I wanted to have some authorship in the character. When it's a film and they go, here is a set, here is wardrobe, here's makeup, here's props, Here's all these cameras. They are now entrusting me to be responsible with those resources. So it's a commodity of trust. And that's, that, that's people ask, what's the difference between acting in games or, or doing a voice over role or doing performance capture being in front of camera? It's like acting is acting is acting is acting is acting. I'm either doing it on stage, I'm doing it in the booth, or I'm doing it in front of a camera on a set. At the end of the day, it's all commodity of trust. It's all about giving that away as opposed to trying to hold on to it and control it. That make sense? Mm -hmm. God, that was a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really proud of myself. Denver, I, had a, I got here Friday night and I walked around, just wanted to get a vibe, see what was going on. Beautiful night air, just walking around, I was like, let me go ahead and have a glass of wine. I'm a responsible drinker, okay? And I walk in and one of the things that I love is that we get to have like opportunities to like Roger Clark and, and Rob Weedoff and Chloe Hollings and Dante and I, we went to have dinner. And so the, we're having a good dinner, let's celebrate. We've had a great time, we get to share the stories that you guys have shared with us. And the waiter comes over, he's like, would we have wine tonight? I was like, yeah, we're gonna have wine tonight. It was a wonderful dinner. He's like, what would you like to have? And I pretended like I understood everything on the wine list. <laughs> and then I just basically dragged my finger until he went, I was like, yeah, that one. <laughs> I am glad you agree with that choice. Uh, what are these made up numbers on the side? That's the price. Let's go back to this one. <laughs> so we're sitting there, and again, I'm a responsible drinker. And so he's like, pour me a little glass of wine. Uh, yes, whatever you're supposed to do to pretend like you understand it. It tastes like fruit juice. Someone left out in the sun for too long. <laughs> Nailing it. <laughs> Nailing it. So, uh, I, I drink this wine and we're having our conversation and a little bit, would you like some more wine? I was like, yeah, I'll take a little bit more wine. How's your steak? It was fantastic, thank you so much. So Roger going, you were saying, is, well, I remember Troy. <laughs> Boy. I'm like, yeah, just do that all day long. And, and before too long, I'm going, my face feels funny. <laughs> And I feel mainly of politics. I'm like, how much, we, we, one glass of wine. And I was like, hmm, my face feels warm and my lips don't work. And so I was like, I'm gonna stand up and now my feet are wrong. <laughs> and it's all bad. And I was like, what? Altitude. 
So, I'm feeling great today. One glass of wine. I felt like I was 12 years old trying to like pull nips out of my daddy's liquor cabinet. I was like, I don't like this whiskey stuff anymore. I was like, now you've learned your lesson, son. Oh man. So thank you for that, Denver. Uh, I forgot, I was like, mile high city, altitude. But funny enough, it doesn't affect me in a plane. Explain that physics. It makes no sense. Anyway. Um, every time I come out here, whether it be, it doesn't matter the city, I have no idea what I'm gonna say. I long ago abandoned um, trying to <laughs> long ago abandoned trying to come up with something that I felt uh, was prepared. And it's the same thing with acting. I feel like you can be prepared but never be rehearsed. And I used to come in full to a scene because I knew exactly what I thought the scene should look like and how I wanted to impress people with my acting. And what I realized is that I was unable to receive whatever the director, the writer, my fellow actors were trying to give to me, and it would just always fall flat. So the same thing applies. I don't believe that there's anything different between the person that I am on stage and the person that I am off stage. The only difference is, is that I'm telling a different story. So I don't want to be, I don't believe in method. It's, it's, that's insane to think that you can truly become somebody else. It is all about me disappearing and that person stepping forward through me, and that comes through preparation, but it doesn't come through rehearsal. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like, if you, who, how many actors do we have in here? Yeah. By the way, remove aspiring from your resume, okay? <laughs> it doesn't serve any purpose to anybody. Nobody wants to hire an aspiring actor. They want to hire an actor. Okay, so aspiring is just something that you tell somebody else and sometimes tell yourself to let yourself off the hook of trying harder. You're not aspiring, you are. Copy that? Yeah. Well done. So, for all of my actors in here, coming in and going, on this line, I'm going to sit down, mm, because they're gonna love that. I'm proving a point because I'm sitting down. See what I do? I control the way the camera moves. I'm sitting down. You go into the audition and they go, no chairs. <laughs> what? But on this, I have to sit down. It's like, no, there's no sitting down. And by the way, you're no longer a doctor. You're actually, you're, you're a pilot. And uh, you're not in Vietnam. You're in space. And it's like everything changes. Your job as an actor is to be able to pivot because you understand the core of who that actor is and not the choices that they make and where they sit and how they talk. Everyone goes, how'd you come up with the voice for Joel? I didn't. I didn't come up with a voice for Joel. I looked at the guy and I was like, that's who this is. You did not decide how you were going to talk, how you sound. Where'd you grow up? Yeah. Here? Here? At this convention center? <laughs> Let this man out. There's a world outside. <laughs> McDonald's. I must see what this is all about. You grew up here. So that's why you sound the way that you sound. Your parents are who your parents are. There's a varied swath of people in here. That's why you all sound different is because you just, that's where you came from. So trying to come up with a voice, nobody, you don't choose that. You don't choose, you can choose the color of your hair if you want. But that's all external. As far as who you are as a person, that's because of the experiences that you've had, the, the, the things that you've done, the things you haven't done, the choices that you've made, the pain that you've had. 
the joy that you've experienced, all that. That's, that's where that voice comes from. So again, to everybody, and I would even say this extends to people who aren't actors. You are who you are. Stop trying to be somebody else because you're great at being you, but you suck at being other people. <laughs> cool? Okay, sure, absolutely. Um, I could go on ad nauseum uh, about, yeah, what's ad nauseum? That makes perfect sense. <laughs> um, about the stuff that's going on in my brain, I'm really more uh, curious to find out what's going on in you, and I know that time is not our friend. So if you have a question, I'm gonna get through as many as I can. I would love for you guys to line up and ask whatever you have. They are lined up. Stand and be recognized. Is anybody watching Obi-Wan? Okay, are we, hands up if you love it, hands down if you don't like it. Wait, hands up if you don't like it. I, that's why voting is screwed up in this country, by the way. It's people like me that are telling you how to do it. Yeah, I, I'm on the fence. I don't know, I'm episode four right now. Indira Varma, by the way, I did a movie with Indira Varma. She played the, no spoiler, but you know she is, right? She was the, okay, okay. Um, uh, she's, she's a wonderful light of a human being, and I, I loved I continue to see her work. I, I loved her when she showed up in Game of Thrones. Uh, she's an incredible person, just so you can tuck that away in your hat. Uh, you stood up and you had a question. Hi, thanks again for being here. Yeah. Um, I'd love to know about what your process looks like for saying goodbye to your characters at the end of playing them, and if that process changes, if the characters' stories come to like a more natural end. <laughs> come on, man, first question? <laughs> What's your name? Joy. Joy. Oh, here we met. Yeah. What do you want to do, Joy? What, what's your passion? Like, what's what's your goal? Um, I'm a video game producer. I'd like to say that's right. that we and tell about stories this. and, and about this. work with uh -oh. people all the map. Share that passion. Did you keep me from feeding back? That's why Man, you're good. The guy goes, he's walking in front of the speaker. <laughs> we pull that fader down. I love you right now. <laughs> um, how do I say goodbye to a character? There is no process. Um, a process is a formula that someone came up with because it worked once and they think that it'll continue to work for them. And I don't know if that's true for me. If I say this is my process, again, I'm coming in filled. If there is a process, it is this. I must discover something about the character that nobody else knows. It's a secret between he and I, and we keep it there. Um, and at any moment, I have to be willing to surrender that secret to someone who needs to know it. So my job is to learn about the character and ask questions. Neil caught me one time. I was on stage and my go-to was always, this line needs to change. And I would say, I think it would sound better if it's this. Because I wanted to be, wanted to be collaborative. And Neil finally, in a very kind way, said, I want your first response, to, instead of being this line needs to change, to ask me a question. What about this scene, about this character, about this story, do I not understand? Because this doesn't feel right. Now we can discuss it. Now we're on the same side of the table. And at the end of the day, if you have a better version of it, great. I work with David Fincher, he's amazing. Yeah, he is worthy of all of the accolades and lauding that he gets. I'm gonna answer your question, don't worry. <laughs> um, I just wanted to name drop. <laughs> David Fincher. <laughs> <laughs> Love him. Um, David Fincher loves to do, famously loves to do a lot of takes. And by the end of our shoot, 
we would sit down and have lunch together and I said, I think I finally get it. Um, I know why you like to do so many takes. He goes, okay, why? I said, because you love to shoot. He goes, absolutely. As long as they let me shoot, it's the thing I love to do most. So if you have an idea, I want to hear it. Let's go for it. Will they let me shoot? Hey, I think I have a different idea. I love it. Can we go for it again? I want to shoot. And that is driven by passion, not obsession. And that to me is a fine, apply that to your life however you can. Let, let your passion be the thing that drives you to iterate, to do it again, to get up in the morning when it's cold and you don't want to do it, when someone says you suck. You're not driven by obsession, you're driven by passion. And passion is not the thing, the, the, the passion being the fuel, it's not, don't equate passion to like or to love. Passion is why you do it when you hate it, when you're bored with it, when it's tired, when no one's buying it, no one's getting it, no one understands, people don't support you. That's passion. It's not, oh, I love doing this. That's not passion, that's easy, that's infatuation. It's easy to do it when someone's supporting you. It's easy to do it when someone's paying you for it. It's easy to do it when it's fun and you like it. It's hard to do it when it sucks. That's passion. So be passionate. To answer your question, how do I say goodbye to a character? Neil and I were standing out in front of a bar in London, left behind and just swept um, the awards and Ashley had won again for, for playing Ellie, which was unprecedented for a character to play back to back, win back to back for best character, best, best performance. And we're standing there and we're waiting for an Uber or someone to pick us up. And Neil is just very unassuming. He's standing there and it's quiet. We're a little few drinks in. And he goes, so I think I have an idea for a story for part two. And I go, go on. <laughs> Spoiler. Okay. So Joel dies. And I went, <laughs> cool. Uh, what a way to end this epic game that we're going to produce. He's like, okay. <laughs> and so about a year and a half, two years later, actually, he says, hey, can you come over to the house? I want to walk through the story with you. And we sit in his office and I, I have this notepad and I want to be a diligent student. And he starts telling me the story and he gets to the, the point in the scene. And, um, and he goes, and so then I was like, hold on a second. And I just had to process and I cried. And because it was like someone telling me that uh, a friend of mine had died and they had already dealt with it, but I hadn't yet. And the hypothetical and the wonderful narrative idea hit me in the gut. And I was like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. I don't know if I like this. And then we're shooting the scene. Actually, before then, we're auditioning. And so we have to go through that scene multiple times with different people. And then we shoot the scene. And we'll get into that at another time. And then the leaks happen. Neil has done a lot better job of dealing with that, by the way, than I have. 
he's in a he's in a good place. I still wrestle with it. Um, I wonder what would happen. But I remember him asking me, he says, do you think we made the right choice? Do you think, I just want to know from you, do you think that we did the right thing? And I said, this is before the game came out, I said, I don't know, Neil, I haven't played it yet. <laughs> and there's a lot of people that still struggle with that story and struggle with that moment specifically. And I'd love to talk to you about it after you've played the game. <laughs> yep. So how do I say goodbye? I'm working on that. I'm working on that, but I'm doing my best. Um, but to quote Joel, I would do it all over again. Okay. Great question, thank you. One question down. Jeez, all right, someone over here? Thank you, mate, what you got? Um, I actually had the opportunity to meet and talk to you yesterday and I mentioned that I was wanting to go into voice acting. Yeah, man. And uh, I mentioned that you were probably my biggest role model and inspiration, inspiration and all that fun stuff. Probably. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did tell you that it was between you and Nolan. Who? <laughs> um, but I wanted to know specifically, who are your inspirations? Oh, who man. are your biggest backers? And Oh, those are two different categories. And sometimes they fortunately conflate. I remember rushing home every day, I can say this, I can almost say this, this phrase backwards. I remember coming home every day after high school, rushing home, making sure that I made it by 4.30 so that I could catch Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. <laughs> if for no other reason than just to hear that theme song. Mm -hmm. Never has there been. I look, I, I became a new fan of Nirvana. It's like something in the way. Three hours later, mm, great song. But there will never be anything better than that Elfman and Shirley Walker music for that for that show. It's just incredible. To that point, there will never, ever, 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 ever be another Batman like Kevin Conroy. Nor will there ever, 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 ever be another Joker like Mark Hamill. And. Those were the stars that I fixed my vow to, and I wanted to steer in their direction because Kevin, to me, Batman is easy. Put on the cowl and just go as low as you can. Um, but can you be Bruce? Because Bruce is really the masked one. Batman is the unfettered and unmasked one. But Bruce is the really hard one. And I watched Mark do Joker, like in person, and it's just effortless. He just coasts on it like a roller coaster. It just goes up and down and no problems and loop-de-doos and fine. Me, there were several sessions where Amanda Wyatt, our voiceover director, would after two hours come and talk back and go, you're done. It's like, okay, it's just, we're just starting to lose it. You just, you can't hold up. I would leave every session sweating. So what Mark could do backflips, patting his head and chewing bubble gum was a Herculean effort for me. That's a source of inspiration. That is someone that you aspire. I can use that word, to be. You work towards that goal. Um, Rob Paulson, uh, Jim Cummings, these are Peter Cullen, these are all people that I grew up listening to and, and understanding these can be this is a job, like somebody has this job, Mel Blank, 
So specifically for that art and artistry of being a voice actor, those are the people. But man, you start bringing in Gary Oldman. How do you go from playing Sid Vicious to Dracula? How do you swing from perspectives and just morphing into characters with zero pretension, with remaining kind? He, I've worked with him. He's an incredibly kind, quiet, caring person. He was in a store one time in London, and somebody recognized him from Harry Potter, and he just sat and talked with them, and he was just like, yeah, sign whatever you want. He's just a kind, open person, and then wickedly, voraciously talented. So those are the people that I look to. Whoever moves me, whoever I feel is allowing a character to come through them, um, I'm inspired by that. Whoever I feel like I am running to keep up with, that's who I'm inspired by. If I am the smartest, most successful, best looking. <laughs> person in that room, I'm in the wrong room. I need to be in a room where it's like, David Bowie put it best, he goes, whenever I swim out from the shore and the water is just below my nose and my feet are just barely touching, that's when I do my best work. That's where you have to be, not in the shallow end. So get ready, start swimming. Cool? Thank you. Thanks, man. <laughs> How about you? Thank you for being patient. I've been standing here. So do we all. Who's awkward right now? <laughs> yeah, yes. you're among friends. Let's go. Good, good. Um, I will say so. I'm a big um, Booker fan, of course. Same. Bojack. I mean, I have a little thing too. But um, I met my fiance, who's right over here Ooh. too. Well done. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, I know, right? You did good. Um, yes. He was like, do you want to play this really silly game? It's about zombies. I was like, that sounds stupid. And then we played it, and we're up to like three in the morning, just like, but what about Joel? Like, what are you talking about Resident Evil? Sorry. <laughs> oh, no. We're like zombies, no. But um, I was gonna ask because I've worked in film editing before too, yeah. and so I get to see like a lot of actors when they do, even like face recognized actors as well. Sure. After they end um, a cut, when you like are done with it too, after a very emotional scene, mm -hmm. um, them having to kind of like come back to it. So we always talked about it too. It's like, how do you come back from that after you have like a very emotional scene where you're like, you're giving like your entire heart out, you know, yeah. to something? How do you just like snap back from it? Or does it like, you know, you were talking about acting and whatnot and like passion, but like, does it, you know, keep you up at night in a good way? Like? Depends. Depends, yeah. So I, going back to part one, the Sarah scene, uh, Neil had said, I'm gonna give you a heads up because I want you to be prepared for that. You know, we're gonna sort of throw that scene at you. And so he was very kind and he was like, just like, you know, next shoot, next month, we're ready. I was like, okay. And he waited until that was the end of the scene or the end of the day and it was the last scene that we were gonna do. And I walked in like, watch this. <laughs> and you brought a golf club. Oof. <laughs> Is it too soon? I'm Part sorry. one. Ah. <laughs> um, so long story short, you guys have heard, I'm sure, me tell the versions of this story before, but the, the specific point that I want to bring is that by the end of that day, um, I got out of my suit, got into my car, drove an hour home, walked into my apartment, walked into my bedroom, and collapsed in my bed and didn't surface for a day and a half. 
And that is not any, by any way, a brag. That is not, um, look how committed I was to the role. That is evidence of the lack of ability and preparation that I had for that scene. And again, in the same way that Mark can just do this, there are other people that can go in and out of that scene, like you mentioned, and I wasn't. I did something that I was not prepared to do. And so I've learned, first of all, I walked in because I was, I was heavy going in. I was filled going in. Do you remember Matrix? Neo's lying on the table, and he had just come out of the thing and had gone into the black, and they had just pulled him out, and everybody, everybody tried to see if you could see his junk, and they pulled him out. <laughs> Don't try, by the way. It's not, no one should see it. Um, there's no hair on his body anywhere, but then some parts need a trim. It's weird. Anyway, so he's lying on the, oh, he's lying on the bed, and he goes, he looks at Morpheus, he goes, why do my eyes hurt? And Morpheus goes, because you've never used them before. I, there's, in my 40s, I decided that I was gonna be fittest in my 40s. And so I've committed myself to physical fitness. And I've got a great trainer that I work with. And I used to go into the gym and I used to lift a lot of weights and that led to injury. And the reason why is because I had not understood this precept that I'm gonna tell you. We did this thing where he goes, I want you I wasn't ready for it. Since then, I've learned to come in empty and be ready for anything. I have no idea. None of us know what's gonna happen when we walk out these doors to this room. No, you can't predict. You can worry about it. You can fill yourself up with anxiety and fear, but ultimately you don't know. So it's better to just be like, I'm gonna be happy instead. Walk out and see and be ready for whatever's happened. You can be prepared as much as you can, but just be ready for whatever happens. So that's what I try to do. As I try to be as ready as I can. The people that um, need to be angry and scream and yell before they start a scene, you're Phil before you start, before they say action. And one of my favorite quotes is, um, what's his name? Uh, not Richard Harris, Richard Burton. They said, Sir Richard, how do you do the acting so well? He goes, it's quite easy. I will give you everything. But if you give me nothing in return, I will take it from you. Yeah. <laughs> and to me, what that is reflective of is someone who understands that our job, it's like a zookeeper. Our job is to feed the beast. And the scene is the beast that needs to be fed. And if I'm doing my job and feeding the beast and you're doing your job and you're feeding the beast, the beast is being fed. And that's what people come to the zoo to see. They don't come to see the zookeeper. If the zookeeper dies, Nobody cares, but if the beast dies, people won't come to the zoo. So feed the beast. That's what I do. If that requires me to be angry in the scene, then I'll be angry, but I don't like emotional directives. It is all responsive. How are you feeding the beast? And if you need my help, I'm gonna feed the beast with you. Um, everybody works differently. I'm not here to disparage anyone's process or talent, but I don't see the purpose in coming in filled, coming empty. Just come in empty, be ready. That's your question? Is a Last of Us themed wedding out of the picture, do you think? <laughs> if you guys are dressed as Joel and Ellie, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, I, I, would, I would throw my hand up at that, but yeah. absolutely we'll you should. I think showing the love that can exist 
by the way, that's the, that is the underlying thing in, in the story of The Last of Us is how love survives. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, so absolutely, you should do that and invite me. I'll be there. How much time do have? 10 minutes. All right, we can do this. Go for it. So I really liked that story you told about Neil Druckmann a few minutes ago. It's a good really cool. Yeah, and uh, I was just thinking about your career at this point. You've pretty much worked with all of the great video game creator auteurs that are out mm -hmm. there with Hideo Kojima and uh, Death Stranding Metal Gear and uh, Ken Levine with Bioshock and Neil with uh, Last of Us. Yeah. Um, could you talk a little about the different approaches that each one of these guys, these geniuses bring, like uh, and the, the what the differences are between them and, and maybe some of the similarities? They truly are geniuses and I'm not, that's not a platitude. They, they genuinely are geniuses, like their brains just run at a higher RPM than most. Um, I watched Neil, The Last of Us was the first thing he ever directed. Um, and I watched him become a director, not only that, but become a great director, uh, my favorite director to work with. Um, the, the common thread throughout all of them that I feel makes them truly great is they are genuinely open to being surprised. Even though this is work, that they have, they're all writers, and they've all diligently poured over every word, every comma, every character, every scene. They know it intimately. And when they walk in, they go, now let me see what you do with it. Kojima, same thing. Ken, when he's like, dude, you've really challenged my thought on this. Like, this is not at all what I had planned, but man, that's a great idea. Can we explore it further? They just want it to work, and they just want it to be the best that they can be. And again, it's the commodity of trust. They place a lot of trust in me, and I place a lot of trust in them. Their pedigree goes a lot longer than mine. So everyone has their different, I mean, Kojima moves as, as like a, it's like the board. There's just people that are always around him, and everyone is, he's speaking through translators, of course. Um, but he is always open. He knows exactly where everything needs to be. Also, every gun trick that Ocelot can do, Kojima can do. Oh. Scary. <laughs> when you see that little dude, you're like, oh, I'll never mess with you. Whatever you say, boss. Um, but he is, he is truly, um, all these people know in and out their, their characters, their story, and their world. Um, but the common thread that I can see of, of all of them is that they truly are collaborative and they truly want the best performance and the best version of the scene it could be. So I work with them again. If Neil, Ken, or Kojima call me up, I'm there in a heartbeat without a second of hesitation. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, man. Yeah, I appreciate you. See if we can get through a few more. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Wonderful. <laughs> um, so I know like The Last of Us has like had a lot of really funny and emotional like adventures, um, but is there a scene that specifically impacted you the most? Hmm. I always want to go with whatever stands out to me in the moment when you ask that question, because if I flip through the Rolodex and memories that I have of the different scenes, the different moments over a course of 10 years, I could pull so many. The porch scene in part two um, is quite possibly, I feel, as just a single snapshot. Um, by the way, if no one's ever heard of The Last of Us, uh, if you wanted to show someone, I gotta show Fincher this, actually. Um, the scene at the, at, the, at the house between uh, Tommy and Ellie, to me, is you don't need to know anything about the story, you don't need to know anything about the characters, you can show that in isolation, in an abstraction of itself, and every time people are like, wait a minute, what's, 
what's this about? Like, now go play the game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you show the port scene, there's a lot of backfill and a lot of buy-in that you have to have in order to understand why that means so much. Uh, but the port scene to us, it was one of the last scenes that we shot. Matter of fact, if anyone has seen the picture where uh, Ashley and I are holding um, a glass of champagne and I'm, I'm hugging her, that was right after that scene. And that was our entire afternoon, was that scene. Um, and Neil crafted it that way to make sure that we gave that its due because he knew where it was going to sit in the game, he knew the, the stakes that were involved. And we did it over and over and over and over again, not because it wasn't good, but because every time we were just peeling up new layers and finding new things and responding to each other in different ways. And there were scenes where both of us are just crying and others where we're not. And we, we knew the one where Neil goes, that's that. Thank you. That's it. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. So that, that would be, if, you, if you're not familiar with it, if you haven't finished the game, <laughs> get to the end. I promise you it's worth it. For anybody, this is a little final thought. If anybody ever stopped playing after that scene in part two, I know where you're at. I know how you struggle with that. I struggled for a long time with not surviving. <laughs> I remember playing that scene, it's like three o'clock in the morning, and I texted, I was gonna quit, because it was just so heavy. And I said, I can't leave on that note. I was gonna play a little bit more. And I played the next thing that happens immediately after, after you just turn the page from that terrible chapter into a new one. And I texted Neil, and I don't want if you haven't played it, I don't want to spoil it for you. But that scene alone, that, that moment in the game alone was like, now I get it. There are at minimum 300 and up to 1,000 people that in some way or another carefully crafted that story out of love, care, consideration, respect. And it deserves to be played. It deserves to be heard. Whether or not you're ever going to pick up a controller, whether or not you'll ever buy a PlayStation or a PC now, ever. If you want to experience that story, the reason why they're making the HBO show is for that very reason. Because there's just some people who are never going to play it. And mm -hmm. like, that story needs to be told and will come to you. So that's very much the mountain coming to the man. So I'm excited about the preemptively, if you wanted to ask, I'm very excited about that show. I can't wait to see what Pedro does, um, everything that I've seen from him. That man is, is not pulling any punches. Bella <laughs> Ramsey is lights out, lights out incredible. Um, and everybody that's working on a cast and crew has devoted themselves to making sure that it is the experience and the story. If you loved it and they've experienced it and wanted to see something that was as authentic as possible and to people who have never heard that story before. All that I ask is that you go in open-minded um, and that you respect the work that everyone has done. Um, one final thing, anger is easy, kindness is hard. It's easy to be angry, especially right now. I'm not saying it's not justified, especially for the women in the room. Yeah. I would add one question to yourself. How is the situation improved by my anger? Don't just be angry, fight, fight, fight. Fight, fight, and then support your women. They are the nuclear powerhouses on this planet, and they deserve our respect. So, hands off their bodies. Thank you guys so very much for being here. Appreciate that.
Here's some money. Go see a Star Wars.